Thelma. I'll get it! Thelma, I've not told you I can't stand it when you holler in the morning. I'm sorry, Thelma. I just didn't want you to be late. Hey, how you doing, little housewife? Louise. Yeah, I still have to ask Daryl if I can go. You mean you haven't asked him yet? Thelma, is he your husband or your father? Thelma and Louise are going fishing. How come Daryl let you go? Because I didn't ask him. <laughs> He's going to kill you. I let them know. <laughs> Thelma and Louise are going to catch hell. I'll have a wild turkey straight up and a coke back, please. Thelma. What? Tell me something. Is this my vacation or isn't it? See his butt. Thelma, have you lost your mind? I'm an investigator. I'll slow come off the source state police. Get your butt back here, Thelma. Now, as you know, we've tapped your phone. What? Maybe you got a few too many parking tickets. You're getting in deeper every moment you're gone. You want to step back and get in your car again, please? I swear, three days ago, neither one of us would have ever pulled stuff like this, but if you ever meet my husband, you'd understand why. What? Boys, shoot the radio. The police radio, Louise. Got it. Thelma and Louise. Hey, like the vacation so far? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of drinking margaritas by the sea, Mama Cita. Hello. Hello. I can't wait to talk about this movie. Yes, I indeed. love this movie. It's a great movie. We've came very, we've come very close to doing this movie. Several times. Several times. Yes. But we really land on the perfect one. Yeah, it's a great picture. Welcome back to the show, Welcome everybody. back. My name's Pete. And I'm Scott. And these, these are, are the movies, movies that, that made, made us gay. gay. Yes, indeed. Oh, boy, We have Scott. so much to talk about. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. Let's just jump right in, man. Um, let's, let's get into it. Yeah, we had our uh, friend and prior guest of the show. We have him in person this time, Joshua Clement. Why guys? The show. It's really great to be here in person. Yes, and indeed. I feel like I want a wild turkey and a Coke back right I, now. Make it a Diet Coke. I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm drinking a Coors right here. <laughs> uh, I don't think that I have any Jose in the fridge. No. I should have got some for this recording, but I'll I'll settle for my beer. Very good. Very nice. Um, Josh, uh, frequent collaborator for our Oscar episodes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) our special Oscar correspondents. Good to have you in person. Yeah, this is fun. Yes, Mm -hmm. a hot night in L.A., but not too bad. And for some reason, we're back doing Harvey Keitel again after Sister Act. Oh, Oh, sure. Sister Act. (laughs) Well, anyways, we watched Thelma Thelma and Louise, directed by Ridley Scott, written by Callie Corey, released May 24th, 1991, 30 years ago this summer. Wow. Wow. This is kind of why I wanted to do this movie this summer. It's a big anniversary for it, and it is the time to do this movie on this show. This, I mean, this movie is a classic, obviously. Um, it deserves like all the respect and everything. Uh, crazy story, like how this movie got made. Crazy yeah. story, like how it, it even you know made it to theaters. That trailer, on, like, <laughs> just right off the bat, 
they made that move. This movie sounds way more zany than it well, actually. It's is. a buddy comedy. Well, yeah. Ridley Scott <laughs> talked about that. Josh and I just listened to the book Off the Cliff about the making of this movie. Listeners, if you want to just uh, listen to something super entertaining or read the book yeah. Off the Cliff about the making of this movie, I can't remember the author of the book off the top of my head. But anyways, Ridley Scott talks about that of just like uh-huh. how he really wanted to hook the audience in with thinking that this is a buddy road movie. So that was on purpose. Yes. Then. That was not... I think it was. It was. Okay. It was kind of to get asses in the seats. That's so interesting. I would have thought that it would be like maybe studio cold feet or marketing companies just saying, I don't know if people are going to want to watch this yeah. movie. Yeah. The, the book, by the way, is by Becky Aikman. There we but, go. Um, it is so funny to have that real buddy comedy trailer steering mm-hmm. away from anything dark. Yeah. Um, when really in this movie, you get about 20 minutes of fun. Yeah, <laughs> sure. It's like the last like 25 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like, I mean, I was going to say it's not dark. There's dark moments of this yeah. movie, but it's not like super rough. It is. Yeah. I mean, there's comedy sprinkled. Yeah. Yeah. There's comedy sprinkled throughout, but um, it's, it's a fun ride, mm-hmm. but yeah, the trailer does make it out to be like a straight up comedy, um, which is interesting, but yeah, I mean, let's, let's get into this. So this you did gem. not grow up on this movie. I think Me, I no. watched this with you a few years ago and you had never seen it. My first viewing. Yes. I think that I had definitely missed it. Um, I mean, in 91, when it came out, I was, you know, I was pretty young still. So I was just like, eh, I don't You'd know. Been like 13, 14. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I don't know. I want to see these two like ladies, you know, <laughs> like Robin. Seemed like too much of whatever. a grown up movie. Yeah. It did seem very grown up. And um, I feel like Ridley Scott had this kind of, I don't know, like maybe mythology around him as a director. Like he sure. does these like grown up movies, right? High concept sci-fi movies. Not just that, but I mean, Black Rain had just come out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I feel like that was very much like super grown up, like somebody gets their head chopped off in that movie. <laughs> like, that's a crazy, Black with, Rain is nuts. With like a samurai sword, yeah. right? Yeah. Because <laughs> for me, this was, you know, I didn't actually get to, to it until college because I was young yeah. when it came out as well. Yeah. But Scott and I talked a little bit about this. It's kind of one of those adult movies where as a kid, if it was on, for my, for me, for my dad loves Susan Sarandon. Sure. So Bull Durham and this one, it was oh, kind yeah. of one of those, the kids leave the room time. Sure. <laughs> yep. And so I think that's why, for several reasons, I didn't yeah. get to it until probably college. Yeah. And then. yeah. I have a very uh, vivid memory of first watching this movie. I think that okay. I had rented this movie because I was doing a... Uh, an expository speech in speech and drama when I was in high school on Ridley Scott and ah, his filmography. Okay. I was just Ridley Scott was kind of one of the first directors when I was young that I really latched onto. Just kind yeah. of this is a great intro to just like auteur filmmaking. Like there's a Ridley yeah. Scott style. He does all of these really great movies. He does sci-fi. He does drama. He does action. Like he's done it all. And I did a talk on Ridley Scott, and I think that I would have had to have rented it for that. But I remember when we were in Prince of Wales Island, because I used to go to Alaska every year, and we would spend a few weeks there, and we would rent movies at the local at the local liquor store. Okay. That they had, like, a movie wall yeah. that we would walk down to the liquor store, mm-hmm. um, and we would... And we would get a movie. And I remember renting Thelma and Louise and watching it with my mom and my sister. And just being profoundly affected by it. That I just thought it was so great. 
Yeah, I, I remember being a, a little kid and being scarred by the fly <laughs> because I had, you know, it was on TV and yeah. no one was around and, and all of a sudden, you know, Jeff Goldblum's fingernails are falling off. Yes. But I was like, who's that girl? Oh, yes, yeah. And sure. it wasn't until, you know, later, obviously Thelma and Louise, Susan, that, you know, I think that's what motivated me to go back and explore, right. you know, Gina stuff. Yeah, yeah. And for me, my introduction to Gina Davis was probably Beetlejuice because Beetlejuice is one of those movies yeah. that I watched it when I was that young yeah. that I don't remember first watching it. Yeah. That as long as I can remember, I remember watching Beetlejuice. Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing Beetlejuice in the theater. I uh, was pretty young, but I do remember <laughs> that. And uh, it was at the Dollar Theater. That's only a mile away from at the Academy. Apartment. I yes. love that. Yes. Uh, some of us didn't move very far away from home. No. Um, but uh, yeah, I saw uh, Beetlejuice there. And then I also latched on to Earth Girls Are Easy very early on. Hmm. So sure. I had this. To yeah. me, Gina Davis was this like light comedic actress. Um, but also my mother uh, all, would watch the Oscars every year. And it was like a big thing. And she would even watch the Golden Globes before they were on network they were on like probably on like tnt or tbs they were on tbs or tnt some ted turner network yes she wanted the glamour yeah she even would watch those so we were all about those and if you remember when gina davis was dating and married to jeff goldblum fly era gina davis was one of those 80s and 90s actresses that would dress real kooky yes. on, the, on the red carpet. And I loved it. Bring so it back. She was always like, what is Gina Davis going to wear? My mom always thought she was so beautiful. Then she won her Oscar for the, the Accidental tourist. tourist. Wearing something pretty kooky. Mm-hmm. Was it Was it the like uh, train? Silver, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Long train and then just kind of like very busty. It's like her <laughs> glamorous busty tin man yeah. dress. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But also kind of like saloon. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and um, so, you know, just knowing her from that, and, and I feel like she just always had a kind of a, you know, I knew Susan Sarandon from things. Um, but again, this was something that to me was a little bit more adult fare. I liked I liked lighter fare as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I think that I just waited. My I just never got around to watching it until watching it, Scott, with you. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, yeah, I, I do love Ridley Scott as a director. I'm all about, like, I've seen pretty much everything he's done. and um, It's interesting, and, I, of course, we're going to go into it. This, this movie is, like, crazy history. But, I mean, even in 1991, this movie with, like, two female leads, like, all this stuff that's going on. Is it a feminist movie? Is it man-hating? Is it a revenge movie? Is it this? Is it that? Doesn't matter. It's just a really good movie, I guess, at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and, and so much of you know some of the stuff you hear Susan say is trying to lean out of yes. the revenge yeah. tale. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's all very interesting. And for Ridley, it feels so much smaller than yeah. some of the epics we're used to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still a big, wide scope of a, of a movie and all that. But I never really got revenge. I mean, I guess what they do you know, with Harlan is like... I guess it is an act of revenge, but it's like one thing that sets everything else in but motion. But it definitely right. doesn't go into a death wish right. no. genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. And yeah, I can, I guess I can see the like there's a the angle where it's like all the men in this movie are portrayed one way, but really they're not. It's like, you know, um Thelma's husband is a jerk, 
but some husbands I'm sure are like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Harlan, obviously, but you know, you get Michael Madsen, you get Harvey Keitel. The Harvey like, Keitel is kind of the voice of reason. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of Thelma and Louise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like one of his more like sympathetic. Yes, absolutely. You know, yeah. He's usually roles. such a heavy yeah. in everything. And in this one, he's really the one that's like, that kind of has their back the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I mean, obviously this movie, uh, bestowed upon the world, Brad Pitt's abs. Yeah. That, <laughs> I mean, Brad Pitt in that body, that teeny little frame. Well, I was going to say, you know, this movie is just like, it will go down in history as like Brad Pitt, body, yaddy, yaddy. I'm telling you right now, when we watched this last night, I was like, he's too skinny. Kind of has some like, kind of has some like chicken arms. He needs a little to bit. eat some he, food. He is just, he's thin in all abs. Yeah. All abs. The whole, just from his, yeah, all the way up to his chin. <laughs> it's funny. Scott uh, said that he was living with Jason Priestley, I guess, at the time. Yeah. And, Crazy. you know, Priestley says, oh, we were eating, um, you know, beer and ramen. I'm like, how? Not for this movie. I mean, <laughs> sure. yeah, how? Yeah. And he was doing some preparation. <laughs> yeah. He is like 2% body fat. This is like some Georgia the Jungle. No, not even. I feel like Brendan Fraser at least had some more mass. Although, is Brad Pitt one of those men that's just had that six pack since he was like 10? Probably. Mm-hmm. Could be. <laughs> Probably. But, I'm, but I mean, I don't know how tall Brad Pitt is. I think he's about my height. I think he's about 5'9". I think he's probably pushing a buck 40 in this movie. Weight wise, he's so thin. Mm-hmm. It's like it looks unhealthy to me, <laughs> and I know it's like so much has gone into. It. And you know, he obviously he's got a great body. Fight Club, you know, the uh, roof scene in Once Upon, Once a, time Upon a Time in Hollywood. But yep. at least in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he's finally you know he's grown into himself as a as a fifty year or fifty something. He's year old looking man. a little weathered, and I kind yeah. of like this period of Brad's career that he can look a little old. Yeah, he's kind of a hot old guy now. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and the, but the thing is, uh, he's, he's good in this. Yeah. You know, it's like, it could just be quick, you know, flash in the pan kind of character. Like, would it have been the successful with Billy Baldwin? Sure. The with chapter in that book Christian that goes Slater. into the casting of JD is crazy because every single actor that was in their twenties read for this role. Billy Baldwin cast and then dropped out to make backdraft. Yeah, hadn't signed on the line. Hadn't signed That's on. Crazy. Hadn't, hadn't signed any contracts. So they had to bring in everyone that made it to their last stage of casting. And I believe that George was one of them. George Clooney. They yeah. They said Brad. five times. Yep. Um, you had Dermot, uh, Dylan McDermott, Dermot Mulroney. Love it. Ruffalo, <sighs> Christian Slater. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes on and on. And apparently Robert Downey Jr. said, I will do this for any sure. amount of money. Anything that you have in the budget, I'll do it. And Ridley was like, no, you're too short for Gene. I was going to say, like on a on a phone book the entire time. <laughs> he's my height on a good day. Grant show from Melrose Place. Was the backup, right? Was oh. the backup and he had to do television commitments. And Grant has said it's one of the biggest regrets of his career is not Aww. doing this movie. Oh. So it's it's fascinating that this is a you know a star making vehicle for Brad you know yeah. but yet you know he's really third down. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's very interesting though because I feel like the age disparity in all those actors is pretty great. Like I feel like Clooney, I don't know why he just reads so much more. Yeah, older. Ruffalo was on the younger end. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, Christian Slater had to have been a 
still yeah. in his very early 20s at the time. Oh, definitely, yeah. You know? But it's also kind of funny that they talk about the input Gina had because, you they know, they brought yeah. her in to read the scene where he's doing his monologue with the hairdryer. Yeah. And they said that, uh, they mentioned that, our Gina says that they were sort of talking amongst themselves with casting and she was like, well, aren't you going to ask me of who I like? And she said, the blonde one, yeah. duh. It was like brunettes in the blonde. <laughs> That's cool. And he like made her like lose herself in the audition, like giggling, <laughs> forgetting lines. <laughs> so Jason Priestley also talks about in his, in his memoir, I which, say, I read, which I have read, which I have read that when he was living with Brad Pitt at the time, after filming, Gina Davis used to come over. Ooh, so it, it, it sort of turned into like a friends with benefits situation, oh, shit. which I love. Good for Gina. <laughs> and this kind of all tracks because she says that her separation with Goldblum happened as the movie began filming. Okay. Oh my gosh. So you know, scandal. Good for her. <laughs> yeah, good she, for her. She got the go, she, Gina. She got the tap that brat ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. But yeah, I feel like I'm wondering, uh, you know, if somebody like. You know, they originally cast Billy Baldwin. Right. And Backdraft, good movie. Billy Baldwin, handsome guy. Billy Baldwin, guy. very handsome. Yeah, yep. a handsome guy. Uh, would it have had this kind of lasting impact that, you know, mm-hmm. that Brad Pitt Yeah, I don't know. And, and kind of the funny thing that they both end up opening the same weekend. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I feel like if you're Billy Baldwin, you take Backdraft. It's a lead role, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's Ron Howard. You know, you're working with all these people. I, w- I kind of would think he yeah. made the right decision at that time. I feel like his people were like, you want this lead mm-hmm. role. You are yeah. the, you know, the main character in this movie. Your third, fourth, <laughs> you know, third male lead in a, in a female-centric movie. What does he have? 15 minutes of screen time mm-hmm. in Thelma and Louise? Well, if we're but gonna... it's the legacy yes. that matters. It makes well, an impact. Yeah. <laughs> well, if we're going to talk about alternate castings, we should probably mention to start ha- yeah, yeah, yeah. that... The script was circulating throughout Hollywood in the late 80s, and pretty much every major actress working at that time wanted this role, wanted these two roles, yeah. and they had cast Michelle Pfeiffer and Jodie Foster. It was like in, That was yeah. sort of what they were shopping with studios of Michelle and Jodie really want to do it. They're both really hot right now. Jodie had just won for The Accused. Michelle, I think, had been going on her second nomination, and it's Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. like one of... The most beautiful faces in movies. And they were very close to do it. They were very close to doing it. And as they were trying to find directors, they went over schedule. And they both had to leave to make other movies. Jodie had to go make Silence of the Lambs. And Michelle went to go make Love Field. Which the irony was, they were both sort of considered for both of those roles. Like... Michelle was originally cast as Jodie in Silence of the Lambs, and Jodie was originally cast as the Michelle Pfeiffer role in Love Field, and they flipped up. Michelle was like, it's a little too gross for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, interesting. Um, I'm not going to say that Jodie Foster couldn't play Thelma, but I mean, is it – and not that the character is too light because, I mean, there's like a – yeah, like a brutal like abuse scene in it, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I just feel like the ditziness, the like kind of what Gina brings to Thelma is this kind of like, um, I hate to say like childlike, but like I don't know, like just an innocence, right? And I feel like Jodie Foster is just so like yeah hard for me. Um, I've never seen The Accused. Is is sort of she play the like what's her character in the in the accused, 
Because it seems like those two roles would be very similar. Well, it's, well yeah. yeah. It, it comes to the assault scene, but mm-hmm. in The Accused, it happens so early that it's, you know, mostly a trial movie. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. About the case. And, um, you know, it's it's dark, dark, dark. Very, yeah, very dark, very heavy. But what's kind of fascinating about the, the Gina thing of it all is, you know, these actresses are just waiting. You know, it's not getting made. It's not getting made. Yeah. Gina supposedly wants to be Louise, but then talks to Ridley and then feels she's more of a Thelma. But apparently in the contract she signed, it was, you will be either of these roles. Yes. It depends on on how we cast cast Louise. Mm -hmm. If we can't find anybody for Louise, then we're going to throw you in there and we'll bring in somebody else to be Thelma. Okay. And we can't forget the... Marilyn Goldie of So uh, Marilyn Goldie, like, track Ridley Scott down and pretty much force him to take a meeting with them. And they're really selling that we need to be in this movie. And that's also interesting because I think that Louise – or I think that Thelma is written very differently that you would have to adjust the script to be Goldie. Yeah. I mean, we just – are we just automatically assuming that it would be – Goldie is Thelma, right? Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> clearly. Can't be. Meryl giving more maternal. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, hey, if uh, if we had if it had gone that their way, then maybe we wouldn't ever have had Death Becomes Her. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They, had, they got their chance to work together. Mm-hmm. And while Death Becomes Her was horrif- horrifically panned <laughs> by critics at the time, it has, again, gone on. To, to have, have this, this, this beloved legacy, legacy. yes. Yeah, so. Gold, Goldie had to had to hang around for like the banger sisters with Susan. <laughs> <laughs> um, there you go. Well, and I also <laughs> think the ending with when they would discuss it with both sure. Goldie and Meryl, yeah. that I think that they wanted to change the ending. And I know with Callie that was a deal breaker with the script. Yeah. yeah, that it has to have them drive off the cliff. Yeah, and there was no compromising with it. Yeah, Ridley really only was tinkering with you know, is she gonna? push Thelma out. Right. Mm-hmm. That would be the one concession. I don't know if they shot that ending just yeah. to have it just, just in the in can case. if they might need it. Yeah. But they were never going to use that ending. Though. No, you can't. It wouldn't work. How could she reach over, open the door, and <laughs> Thelma's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> are there cigarettes in there? I can get it for you. No, that that wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. There's no way. that In that huge boat of a car... She wouldn't even be able to keep her foot on the gas whilst reaching over to get the, the yeah. door handle. No way. So, yeah. So, they they both got to go over the cliff. Very interesting, though, because it is this iconic ending of this movie. And I do – I am old enough to remember uh, – and I talk about this on – you know, from time to time. I was uh, a big uh, patron of Entertainment Tonight and Extra and all the mm-hmm. – you know, all the – the entertainment news all, magazine all shows. All the half-hour tabloid yes, shows. of the of the late 90s and the 80s. And, you know, all those shows. This movie was huge, very topical. And I don't think anybody cared about spoiling this ending. I think Roger Ebert talked about it. Oh, yeah. Like, and Ebert. Everyone pretty much yeah. led with they drive off the cl- – yes. they drive into the Grand Canyon at the end. Yes, and the whiteout, you know, fade to white, all that stuff. Um, Which is so interesting given the state of – you know, today and social media and spoilers. Yeah. You know, what wasn't considered. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I just always remember that being a talking point. Um, interesting. Uh, interesting that I brought something up. <laughs> um, Roger Ebert's review. His only negative was that they cut to white too quickly for him. To that it montage. Was like the edit. Thing. Yeah. He thought that the, it was like it would have. I don't know. 
if maybe they left out the montage or held on the sh- held on the freeze yeah. frame for longer or something. It's an interesting star a, deduction. <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting star deduction. Well, if you look on the Blu-ray, you can see their alternate ending, which you see the car drop out of frame. And, it's weird. When the car drops weird. out of frame, I don't like yep. it. Yeah. No. It gets a little, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as, like, inspiring as the freeze frame to the... To the montage of all of the scenes. Yeah. Because it's like even in death, there's something triumphant about their journey by, you know, having that lift off. Yeah. It's like, you know what's going to happen and it's sad, yet there's something about getting away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Because then there's the whole conversation that at least I had in my head of like, what if they just get out of the car? (laughs) What if they just put their hands up? I mean, yeah, she shot that guy. We're going but to jail for a bit. They're going to jail for a bit. Like, what is she? Maybe, maybe she'll get <laughs> what low end six, seven years. Right. And she, take take she, into consideration the assault. She's white. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe low end six, seven years. You know, it'll fly by. <laughs> Susan Sarandon's Louise wasn't going to stand for that though. That's that's the thing. Mm, like Louise is like, I'm not going to jail, not for him. Yeah. And that's another very interesting thing is that we never get. Louise's like tragic the backstory. We know that something happened in Texas, but whatever it is triggers this. I'm not gonna go to jail for Harlan. Yeah, he's not gonna put me, you know, in in jail. And and yeah, whatever the whatever happened to her in Texas that made them go all the way from. It's a fascinating piece of the puzzle because because it is brought up several times. Mm And yet, you know, we never get the specifics, which is is effective in an interesting way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but um, yeah, it just it just kind of adds to like to just the like the depth of these characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the casting was was crucial. And now, when you see these other actresses that are on the list, it's like, of course. You know, Goldie and Meryl would have been great. Of course, you know, Jody and Michelle. Maybe Meg Ryan at this time in her career could have been Thelma. Right. But Uh, against like Gene Triplehorn or something as as Louise. (laughs) Who's who's like our our C list? Well, there's even that talk that Cher was in the mix but wanted to, you know, uh, focus on music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was right. That that was when her. I think that Cher has like said that she really likes the script. And if they were to consider her, she would probably make room. But yeah, she was doing music at the time. Yeah. This would have been like mermaids. Maybe maybe if she lost the Oscar for Moonstruck, you would have seen her lobby even harder for this movie. Give me something juicy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, even with all those other actresses in consideration, I feel like it had to be Susan and Gina. Like oh, they're just yeah. like so. Mm-hmm. The chemistry perfect. is undeniable. Yeah. yeah. And then another thing too, when we're watching it, I'm thinking, uh, how the, how is there no notes to say like, oh, make one of them blonde? I know two kind of redheads. That's really very, interesting. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That they let them. You know. I mean, just the fact that this movie got made at all, I guess, was pretty noteworthy. Just because it's like every time you hear Ridley Scott say, you know. Two bitches in a car. He's like, oh my god. <laughs> well, that's these, what he are said. That's saying this. That's what he said. That studio execs would say to him at the time. Yeah. That that's just this is two bitches in a car. Nobody's gonna want. Nobody's gonna want to see this movie. Uh, I feel like there's there's just something seemed to be so huge riding on a yeah. first time screenwriter. Yeah. 
you know, mm-hmm. not just that she was a woman, but, yeah. you know, just first time out. So Kelly Corey, um, she had spent some time in Nashville, and the book mentions that she was best friends with Pam Tillis, country legend Pam Tillis, who I love. I love me some Pam Tillis. <laughs> like, that is like my age of country divas from the early 90s and she wrote the character of thelma i almost i almost said thelma harper but <laughs> thelma harper is from mama's family yes. <laughs> but um she wrote thelma after pam tillis which i think is so cool it makes me really want to meet pam tillis <laughs> yeah i thought that was really cool taking you know a relationship from back home yeah and uh yeah, interesting that this move that she, you know, she's not kind of, you know, she doesn't have like a proven track record. This is her first. She was first working script. in music videos at the time, which was a very misogynist industry to be a woman working at that she would just run into a lot of assholes. And she kind of put it all in the script, not really yeah. knowing if she was going to sell it or anything, but just a more, just that I'm just going to put all of my frustrations into film and Louise. And then she ended up like selling this for like a million dollars. Yeah. So she said that she wanted, she wanted to direct it. But one of the things with the Ridley Scott production company was, okay, we're going to buy your script, but you're really going to have to cave to a huge A-list director making it. Yeah. yeah. And Ridley Scott was not like – he was going to produce it, but not director, like, but not direct it. And then just sort of when he met with all of these guys that wanted to, wanted to direct this movie, he kind of knew that they would fuck it up. <laughs> so he just ended up doing it. And, and the rumor is Michelle Pfeiffer was the one who yeah. kind of, you know, said, you, you know, you should just do it. Sure. Um, but I, I do love that. You know, it's just like it becomes so precious to him that in the end it's like, you know, just you do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And very interesting that, you know, I mean that Callie Curry is just like, yeah, I wrote the script. I'm shopping around. People are interested in it. You know what? Maybe maybe I'll direct the movie. And And she did say that. It would have been very low budget, you know, kind of documentary style. But it's she like, said that when it was the movie in her mind, she pictured it with Francis McDormand and Holly Hunter, right? Who were roommates at one time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. That tracks. Those two. Those two seem very like uh, very cool. She wanted her back home kind of feel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's just something about how Ridley Scott directs movies that you really get a sense of scope that this whole world is existing around this intimate story between these two characters of just how he frames the shots like there is just there's something happening in every frame of this movie yeah and one of the fascinating things i like about ridley and reading about how he is as a filmmaker is he's one of the rare filmmakers that not only handles his own camera but i love that he does full coverage all the time so basically that means that there are two cameras always set up so most directors will do you know single coverage Mm -hmm. but ridley always wants the actors to just kind of let fly and for there always to be cameras on them both at the same time which i find fascinating which in this one especially in the car i think lends itself to such great yeah yeah Moments. He also storyboards all of his his own movies. We have kind of an interesting Ridley Scott story. So I remember I got a press screening for All the Money in the World 
a few years ago. And that movie, I mean, you were always reading about it that they had to do those reshoots in November with Christopher Plummer when they uh, decided to recut cut Kevin Spacey out of the movie. And I got a press screening, which was the first time an audience had seen the movie outside of the Hollywood Forum Press. And we went to the Sony lot. And they had a reception before. And for press screenings, they never do that. <laughs> Ever. So at the Sony lot, the theater, um, it's in, it's on the lot, just in the middle of like sound stages. But the theater has like almost like a, like a mock marquee in the front. So it almost looks like you're walking down the street and there's like a movie theater. You're like, oh, cute. And they even have like posters. So it's kind of set up like an old timey theater, right? And so we go in. And actually, if you watch the Goldbergs, ever anytime they go to the movies on the goldbergs it's that because it looks yeah. so much like a theater they're just like well let's just fucking shoot it here we don't have to go anywhere um so we go inside open and bar we go into this mm-hmm. reception area and Fancy. it's a big like you know just like a little hall kind of a thing and there's a bar and it's open bar and i think they were like past hors d'oeuvres and we're like well shit you know because scott would get press screenings a lot for you know his you know, uh, reviewing job and they never had, they would have like popcorn. They would have like a candy bowl of yeah. like Jolly Ranchers like, if you're lucky. Loose, like loose Starburst. And <laughs> yeah. Like I was going to say, I was a guest with you one time for, yeah. for a Vera Farmiga movie. Yeah. So you remember how it was. And know? that was on the Sony lot. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So if we were lucky, we'd get popcorn and loose, you know, Starburst. But this one had open bar, you know, high top tables, like all this stuff. I think there might have been past hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> and we're just like, what? And when we would go to these, we, I would just go after work, you know, like whatever. Um, so we weren't like dressed or whatever. And so we walk in, and Pete is just like, Ridley Scott is standing right there. And I'm just like, I was like, he's behind you. I'm like, bullshit. That is not like, Ridley Scott. I turn around you. and, oh, that is fucking Ridley Scott. <laughs> <laughs> just like casually talking to people. Yeah. He's like, I've been through a yeah. bitch on this movie. Yeah. I, I need to hear the reaction. And that's <laughs> yeah. sort of what a big deal the screening was. Yeah. That like, they felt like, Sony felt like, oh, we have to get Ridley Scott to introduce this movie. Yeah. Yeah. To the public. <laughs> and yeah, he did the introduction. And I had my big thing of free popcorn mm-hmm. and my giant yeah <laughs> free rum and coke <laughs> and just like ridley scott also just sort of a man of few words when it comes to introducing movies like that like that that he's just like yeah you've read about this movie do you know what we went through <laughs> enjoy it wait for wait for the commentary track i will mm-hmm. give a full uh disclosure <laughs> he's but not yeah. he's not the man who likes the attention and i'm yeah. not somebody to get overly starstruck or impressed whenever i see famous people i think it's only happened like once or twice when we've been out and i've seen like Charlize theron but yeah hmm. like looking at ridley scott across the room that was crazy just being like holy like, shit oh, yeah <laughs> what a legend yeah yeah it was crazy so we should kind of give a description of this movie what goes on so that we can kind of break down a little bit more our characters. Yeah, so and... we get introduced to Thelma and Louise. Thelma is a housewife. I don't think that Thelma is employed. She's no, sort of no, a stay-at-home. She's not even a mother. Yeah. Just a stay-at-home wife to this asshole, brilliantly played by... Christopher McDonald. Christopher McDonald. What? See our Grease 2 episode with, with Christopher. <laughs> and we love that Christopher McDonald was recommended... For the role because yes. he had dated Gina. Yeah. Love it. They were engaged yeah. at one point. This and is she, amazing. And she love left it. him for Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> he was like, I'll still That's do your scandalo. movie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I love that. I love it. And I love that her, I love that Thelma's house is 
it's messy. Yeah. It, there's always construction going on. Yeah. I like the little bit that there is um, cutouts of remodeling. That just yeah. sort of I didn't, wallpaper I had never kitchen. noticed that, but in the kitchen, she has magazine cutouts on one wall, and they're all kitchens. And yeah. it's, one says, like, my dream kitchen and all that. And I had never noticed that. And it's just one little touch of just, like, yeah, Thelma just, like, you know, it's a nice house. It's not like a shack or anything. He drives a Ferrari. Was it a Ferrari? <laughs> it was a Porsche. Oh. Was it a Porsche? Not only goes a Porsche. And did you catch the license plate? Yeah. What did it, I forgot what it said. Was the it like, one. The one. Yeah. The and then number what one. What a jerk. Is he a car salesman or yes. a carpet I thought, salesman? I thought it was carpet. See, I read in the IMDb <laughs> trivia carpet. Yeah. But I thought that she said, I it's funny that no one wants, like people want to buy a car, buy a car on, a on a Friday. Friday. Huh. I thought she said right. car. And then in the IMDb trivia, it said carpet. And then I just assumed it was a car because he drives this like Rari yeah. or whatever it is. Um, she knows he must be fooling around or something. On, you know, not oh, home. she knows. Yeah. Um, I take it that Thelma and Daryl have probably met in high school. Yeah, she, she says. says. Yeah, yep. mm-hmm. married at eighteen yep. and together s- since fourteen. Yeah, since she was fourteen, only man he, she's ever been with, and he just hates her. Yeah, he's pretty awful. Like, she knows he's an asshole. Yeah. yeah, he sucks. Yeah, he sucks. He just treats her terribly. Like she, all she does, her entire life revolves around like making him lunch and making him dinner and. Do, you know, doing everything for him and everything he said. Like the first thing he says to her is like, "Stop hollering at me." I hate it when you holler at me. And he doesn't even care when he. She asks him, "What you? What do you want for dinner?" Yeah, like, yeah. He's like, "I don't care." Like, make whatever. Like, it's so yeah. And it's like he's he's a he's an asshole. Like he's a shitty character. But I mean, I'm sh- I'm sure that there are women out there who are married to guys like this. Mm-hmm, they're yeah. piece of shit dudes out there. Who are just so awful. Louise yeah. is a uh, a struggling waitress. Works hard for the money. I love her. Uh, introduction scenes at the diner. Yeah, smoking ruins your sex life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then goes back and lights up a cigarette yeah. <laughs> in the break room. There's uh, a weird fish motif, I-, I must say. She's kissing the fish in the tank. Right. And then we later see in Thelma's house, there's a fish lamp with fish uh, with, with an aquarium uh, fish in the bottom of the lamp. So there's some weird motif Ah, uh, okay. That is very interesting. <laughs> I'm like, is this Ridley or the production designer just, you know, yeah, with us? Yeah, just went a little crazy. Um, yeah, I love the I love the design in the in this diner that she works at. It's just like we've all been to diners like that. Mm-hmm. It's very like a Bob's Big Boy, just like that old, you know, fashioned kind you of. You can just feel how hot that, that kitchen set probably was. <laughs> yeah. Her... Uh, Louise's apartment set very clean, immaculate, very yep. you know, very tidy. Just not a lot, sort of, of not a lot of stuff. Gina's you, house is very busy. You get a good sense of these two women with their uh, their homes, yeah, and their packing, <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. And Louise drives this crazy car. It's a Thunderbird, right? I think it's a '66 Thunderbird. Yeah, yeah. And does and 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 like herself. You know, Thelma will put her feet up. You know, she wants it. You know, put your feet down. Like she wants it mm-hmm. kept yeah. clean, just yeah. like her house. Yeah, this and car, it's this mint green color. This car, I, I suppose, is like her child. Just yeah, because Louise doesn't have any kids. I mean, she just has like Michael Madsen that she's probably on and off again. And this car, and is she's living like, in an apartment, so she this doesn't car own is like home. her her pride and joy. Yeah. This is like her child, which is interesting. The choice for us not have to have to worry about kids at home. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one's gonna be sad. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, what is 
what is uh, Thelma's husband's name? Daryl. Daryl. Yep. Yeah. So Daryl leaves for work in the morning, and uh, you know, they have a uh, Thelma and Louise have a phone call where we get set up that they're going to go on this trip. They're going to go use the cabin of her boss. Yeah. Because he's, he's getting a divorce and just wants all of his friends to use the cabin before he has to turn over the keys to the ex-wife. Ah, got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, Thelma tries to ask Daryl, but he does. he's not even listening. Mm-hmm. You know, he's Forget about out it. out the door. Forget it. Yeah. And he wouldn't even have said yes, even if she did ask him. Right. And she's excited. I mean, you know, she she's bringing everything on this trip because I love. She's, she never gets to go out. I <laughs> love Gina Davis walking down that driveway with all of those props. No, Thelma, we don't need the lantern. The place has electricity. Oh, okay. No, I won't take it anyway, just in case. In case of what? In case there's some escaped cycle killer on the loose who cuts the electricity off and has to come in and kill us. Sure, Thelma. Well, then that lantern will come in real handy. Maybe we should just tow your car behind, too, in case it steals a spark plug. We'd have to. That thing barely makes it down the driveway. (laughs) And Gina said in the book that the props department was like, what do you want? Like, you can pick one. What do you want? And she picked all of them. The lantern. Mm-hmm. Whatever can fit in this trunk. Yeah. That huge trunk, by the yeah. way. I was like, what the hell? This car. Um, we're not going to need a lantern. The cabin has electricity. She's like, oh, I might go out. Well, <laughs> well, what if some insane psycho killer is on the yeah. loose and they need a lantern? <laughs> yeah. Yep. And like fishing rods and like multiple suitcases. She mm-hmm. took like four suitcases. And she's wearing that jean jacket oh, with the pearl. Pearls hanging off the jean jacket. She's wearing this white, like, skirt, like a white linen skirt with a denim yoke, which, I mean, ladies, listening. Wait till, you the, Gen, wait till the Gen Z's, like, get a hold of that skirt. <laughs> she, she knew she wanted to go out. She knew she wasn't camping first, or like, yeah. you know, at the cabin. No, she was like, we're going to stop at some honky-tonk on the way to this cabin. And Louise, might I add, is wearing, like, this mariachi kind of, like... Jacket. Oh, yeah, her, her yes. personal jacket. Yeah, I was like, okay. I mean, it's very country and western, which, you know, the whole mariachi motif is that. But I was like, all right, <laughs> this black jacket, love it. Yeah, Louise, don't act like you're not ready for this country western bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But first, I mean, do we have the world's most iconic or first ever selfie? Selfie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with that and, Polaroid. Uh, now with this, um, with... We've done Thelma and Louise. We have successfully done all of the sequels from Drag Race All Stars Two. <laughs> we did Show Squirrels. Yeah. Um, did what? What happened what to Baby ha- JJ? What happened to Baby JJ? And now uh, Thelma and Weezy. Thelma and Weezy. What an accomplishment! Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need money, Velma. We're zombies. <laughs> Hold on, I got a great idea. Oh. Oh. <gasps> Selby. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that selfie, iconic. It's on so the poster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's great. And I don't even box. know if when they shot that scene, if they knew it would be all over the marketing of the movie. Probably not. Yeah. And it's it, it's weird because you when you see that photo, they actually have it from a couple different angles. Which yes. Yeah. Once again, I don't know if that's Ridley's full coverage or if right. they knew that was going to be a thing. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. sort of latent editing. 
Yeah. When they figured that out, they brought them back in to get them. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. just kind of one of those great moments in movies that you could tell that they probably didn't really put a lot of thought into it. And just sort of this great movie moment happened then. And they yeah. and they probably didn't approach the scene thinking that. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Silver Bullet Saloon. Which I've definitely been in is my, Long Beach, which is fair in Long Beach. Share of silver bullet saloons in Montana. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. First of all, the Ridley Scott says in the commentary that they shot this at a location in Long Beach, California, which blew my damn mind. And is still a, a country western bar. It has a different name, I guess. Okay, all right, that's interesting. But like you know, huh. it's impressive. It hasn't been you know turned into something. Yeah, I wonder if it's the same bar from True Blood. <laughs> Could that be. was in Long Beach too. I love how the bar is lit too. You can really tell Ridley Scott and his camera guy really know what they're doing when f- photographing a movie. Ridley Scott, the king mm-hmm. of smoke and fog. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and wet roads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, you're right because and a he's lot all of times, about a backlight. A lot of times mm-hmm. in movies, they'll be in a bar or a club, and it's way too well lit. Like mm-hmm. you're, you know, you go to bars and clubs, it's not lit. Like, but it actually felt like it feels they like took a bar. The camera inside, yeah. and they sh- and they shot in there. Yeah, really, really good. This is where we get introduced to the evil Harlan. Harlan Puckett. Uh, Harlan. Puckett. What a name. Uh, I also have to give a shout out to the waitress because I love the waitress. Love her. I love the actress. We do. Yeah. <laughs> I guess Ridley said he used her again. She's great. Okay. I think that she had worked with Ridley before. Yeah. And they called her back for the G.I. Jane in this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. He made G.I. Jane with her. That's it. We love her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. But and I also love in this <laughs> I also love in this bar, the, the, bath, the bathroom. I love that when Louise goes in there. Yeah. It's just, I love all of those extras. Just swamped all over each other trying to get a look in the mirror. Yeah. I love that. Th- yeah. That's all they're doing is just like. In those, the those extras just feel like my aunts. <laughs> like I know all of those women. Yes. Uh, so Harlan is played by Timothy Carhart. Hunt for Red October, Beverly Hills Cop. I think that's where I remember him from. Mm. And uh, the waitress, Lena, is Lucinda Jenny. Great. Yes, as we've said. From- oh, and she's also in Practical Magic. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Okay, I know who she is in she's Practical a, a Magic. She's a townsperson. <laughs> she's one of the bitchy townspeople yeah. that said that she just always really wanted to look inside of inside, their house. Yeah, inside yep. the house. Yep. That's her. See, yeah. I knew exactly who she was. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but Thelma's ready to get turned up. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, she's like, I mean, it's like the girls' weekend. She's yeah. ready for some fun. And, well, I mean, when Louise decides to order a drink, she orders a tequila and a shot of shot of Jose. Jose, okay, just double, <laughs> not a tequila, a margarita, a margarita and a shot of Jose. But it's like double tequila. It's like, all right, lady, slow your roll. Somebody's got to drive home. Yeah, and then Evil Harlan <laughs> yeah. packs it on further. Ooh, man, the amount of shots that come that Lena the waitress brings back. It's like, oh my goodness. And I love the the kind of the messy, not messy. That I love that Ridley chose to do the country western dancing. You yeah. know, non rehearsed, just yes. kind of that real yeah. feel. In yeah. the bar. And Ridley says on the commentary that when they broke for lunch and they had all of these extras from Long Beach that just knew how to just dance. They just needed just people that could authentically dance and not have it be line dancing is crazy yeah. because when you see it in a bar, you're just like, how do they know? And he said that. Uh, they just started line dancing just to have fun, and they yeah. decided to photograph it and put it in the movie. But it doesn't come off like 
like the prom and she's all that. Mm-hmm. It yeah. come, you know what I mean? It doesn't exactly. come off like, how do, uh, what, this is choreographed? It's like, no, it's a thing. It's line dancing. And also at that time, you know, with like Billy Ray Cyrus and like all of yeah, that, sort it of was becoming this craze. The big, co- the, the big country wave of the early 90s. Yeah, it was definitely a craze. So people knew what it was. It didn't seem like precious or weird or like or out of place for this kind of like realistic movie. Yeah. And unfortunately, Louise really, she's got Harlan's number from oh, yeah. the get, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she's immediately onto him. Yeah. It's like the slow motion no to the parking lot, you know. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And then even when, like, Thelma says, like, come on, let's go dance. And Louise is like, okay. And she got the smile on her face. But the minute she, like, stands up, Thelma's like, gone. Mm-hmm. Right. She's, like, out on the dance floor. She's like, well, all right. Well, fuck me. I'll just sit down and finish off my my drink. And, and he, you know, and you can tell that Harlan has, you know, pressured girls before. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Is it, we come to find out from the waitress, our our lovely friend there, that he yeah. is a reg- he is a regular. So yeah, definitely. Um, this scene's heavy. It's a heavy scene. Yeah, yeah. Hard I to remember. Watch. I remember watching this this scene when I was younger, and this was really the first time seeing something like this in a movie. And I knew it, it kind of hit me when watching it when I was like. 15, oh, this is a reality for a lot of women. Right. That yeah. I don't think I'd ever seen something like that in a movie. And I want to say around the time that I watched this movie, I think that I probably had watched like something like Boys Don't Cry too. That like these very these very like real scenes that are a reality to some women. And 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 having been told, you know, as a young Man, whether through our parents or or through we had we had a life skills class when I was in high school. Yeah, but the concept of you know no means no, and 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 Thelma, you know what she's saying to him, you know, you just cringe with every inch of your body. It's yeah, just, yeah. I mean, I think it's something. It is a reality that all women have yeah. to deal with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, and just like going going out to to bars and and you know. Um, just being out in social situations and just it's 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 interesting that as a man, like you said, sometimes we grow up in environments where we do hear those things like no means no and all that. But a lot of times boys right. and men are not taught that. And yeah. for that reason, you know, my sisters just automatically walk to their car with their keys in between their knuckles, exactly. you know, and have like a shanking device on their keychains that's pink because right. it's for girls but it's like what is this oh it's a shiv oh i've seen your sister's key ring you can fuck a guy up with that yeah <laughs> but it's pink mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. and it's like and there's like uh you know the little key ring mace that the little holsters also yeah. pink and it's like what the fuck like the it's so crazy to to see that they do that that we live in this world that a, these things even have to be produced and that women have to buy them to feel safe. But the fact that they market them in this way that it's like, it's cute. It's like, it's yeah. not cute. This is a device to hurt somebody that has every intention to hurt you, you know? And like, as men, we don't really have to, I mean, as gay men, there's one thing where we kind of have that, you know, one eye over our shoulder, but women really every day, you know, mm-hmm. when they're yeah. alone, have this burden to think about and it's so wild yeah that we don't that boys are not taught how to act towards women and how to interact with women and it's true and you know when to stop 
Yeah. And uh, there's a there's a history in Hollywood of, you know, if you like a girl and she doesn't reciprocate, just keep trying. Yeah. Just keep trying. Like she's going to, you know, she'll, you know, uh, make a grand gesture. Like just keep at it. Persistence. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's no, sometimes they just don't want to date you, man. Sometimes they just don't want to dance with you. Yeah. Uh, so all that, like, I mean, at least to me, all that rushes into my head, you know, when I, when you watch these scenes, you're just like, holy shit, like that. We, you know, things that we as men don't have to think about as much, right. you know, yeah. in, in these situations. It's it's crazy, and it's uh, it's it's a real thing, and it's still to this day is a real and thing. And the look of intensity when on Susan's face when she said, oh, yeah. "What did you say?" and just the look on Susan's face right yeah. before she shoots him, yeah. right? It just sends chills down my spine. Yeah, what did you? It's say? so visceral, and you know that. It's just by chance because of Thelma putting in her bag that, you know, there's a gun in your hand. And, yeah. You know, leading up, to, leading up to this moment, you know, Thelma was so alone. And then, you know, it's just here it comes. And then it just takes one more extra little thing for Louise to, to flip. And Yeah. And this is also something that, you know, uh, at this moment in the movie, she... she she stops a, a sexual assault right before he has a moment to like actually, you know, make this happen. She stops it in its tracks. He kind of taunts her, and and that's when she says, "What did you say?" Mm-hmm. And she and she shoots him. She shoots him dead. And this is something that there was. I don't know if there was pressure to change it. To maybe maybe think, she doesn't kill him. I think there were studio notes of why can't she just shoot him in the arm or yeah, shoot him in the leg? Shoot him in the leg. Yeah. yeah. Um. But it's yeah, and that's something that Callie Curry, the the writer, was very adamant on that. No, this is this is what's going to happen to these to these characters. Yeah, and and bring Louise's you know secret past but into it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and it you know it sets off everything else in the in the rest of the movie but um i think it had to be that way you know yeah. if you yeah, just sh- shot him in the foot or whatever mm-hmm. i don't know then maybe yeah yeah it 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 had to, it had to go down this way and it's and it's crazy and it's a it's an intense scene and and they're both really really good in it mm-hmm. very good um but yeah they just uh they just get in the they just get in that mint green thunderbird and hit the road mm mm-hmm. mhm and I like that it's not just hit the road and go. I like that they quickly stop at another diner. Yeah. And it's like, here's the planning. What are we going to do? Yeah. Um, it's, that feels, you know, realistic too. Yeah. Then, ju- then just suddenly being, you know, outlaws immediately. Yeah. It, it's, you know. Yeah, there's some thought put into it because Louise has to collect herself to figure out what she's going to do. Yeah. And, you know, when Thelma says, too, like, well, why don't we just tell the cops? Like, he beat me up. He was going to rape me. Like, you know, and she had throughout the rest of the movie, Thelma's like her knees are all busted up. Like she's she's physically hurt from what he did, you know. And so you could easily say, like, well, yeah, just go to the cops and tell your story. But she Louise knows that it's a corrupt system. Yeah. Yeah. She says they're not going to believe they're not going to believe it. This is 30 years ago and yeah. still this way today. Oh, yeah, it's just... yeah. Everybody saw you dancing with him. Yeah. hundred people saw you dancing with him, with him in the bar. So. Who's going to believe? Yeah. It's not going to, it's just not going to look good. So that's why she's, that's why she's just like, nope, we got to get the hell out of here. 
So, yeah, starts off. When does it get to be that zany, like the like the trailer? <laughs> like the trailer? We're waiting on that. When do they start having all that fun robbing banks? They never rob a bank. <laughs> <laughs> no. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what's interesting is that it doesn't really come become the fun road movie until like yeah. an hour and <laughs> forty minutes in, probably. Yeah, right. Because yeah. we come up to JD soon. You know, yeah, I mean, he has a first sighting. <laughs> yeah would you guys pick up jd if you saw him at the side of the road i feel like you would probably pete you would be the louise and I'm i would very wary and of i would and i would be the thelma of just like what he's cute i'm very wary of hitchhikers i like i like that he just sounds like he just has these like rocks in his mouth <laughs> <laughs> you, you would be the thelma who yeah. actually literally says uh did you did you see that butt did you see that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She says later on something about like watching him walk away. I love to watch him walk <laughs> yeah, away. Yeah, I love it. Um, but yeah, we get you know we get introduced to to JD, which yeah, I, I'm fully on Louise's side. Like, no, no, we cannot. Classic pick fuck him boy. Up, yeah, and, fuck boy. And Louise sees that bag over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. She knows he's no good. Yeah, no, he is a drifter. Why is, what is he running from? And I'm like taking notes on JD's cowboy hat that I have a cowboy hat. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I like that he has like this cool like band, rope, like rope that goes around it. Yeah. Mm. I have to figure something out like that. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. This is right around the time, too, that we call Michael Madsen. Yeah. Yeah. Who is like super dreamy in this movie? Yeah, I kind of think Michael Madsen's <laughs> super hot in this Who's movie. Who's like 32 going on 40 in this movie? Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, Michael I'll, Madsen absolutely. has this like road hard quality about him. This is like Elvis Presley if Elvis didn't quite make it out of playing like yeah. the local bars. So when was Reservoir Dogs? Well, like the year after, and right. so is Free Willy. <laughs> Free Willy, because to me, to me, he's the hot dad. Free Willy. Oh my! Goodness. I mean, as a kid, yeah, as a kid, yeah. Oh, speaking of like these grizzled dudes being in these movies, Ridley Scott also mentions Harvey Keitel in Monkey Trouble. Yeah. <laughs> With Thora Birch. Yeah, he had to sort of a working relationship. Yeah. He like Harvey produced Keitel. or something. Which he produced. I was um, like, what is he talking He Har- mentions he mentions Keitel was, Trouble. Was, was like, in his first movie. He was in uh Duel. Okay. Oh, the Duelists, right? The Duelists, Duelists yeah. yeah. Duel is Steven Spielberg's first movie. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> these like dual movies. Yeah, yeah so right. Reservoir and Sister Act are the next year. Yes. Yeah. And right. And so to me, I always have this image in my head of like Michael Madsen of just being grizzled. You know, just he's he's been around the block. You know, he's a grizzled guy. I have him up there, kind of with Mickey Rourke. You know, mm-hmm. but it's interesting and just kind of seeing the kind of guy and the kind of roles that Michael Madsen does. Interesting that he didn't go down the like Mickey Rourke plastic surgery route. Sure. Yeah, or like I'm gonna be like a boxer in my fifties route, or like a professional wrestler or something. Like, you know, he just he acts. He's he's still acting great. You know, great job and all the Tarantino stuff. But in this movie, he's super good looking. Yeah. I never really thought about that. And we were watching and I was like, look at those eyelashes. <laughs> yeah. He's like super dreamy. His hair is like dyed black. Mm-hmm. And you could tell it's dyed black. Like it's very, very black. But I mean, I don't know. Something about everything put together, the sleeveless shirt, the a, big belt buckle. His like his bowling shirts, love it. Yeah. He has a bit of a he has a bit of a rage problem. 
Yes. Which adds kind of <laughs> this history to both him and Louise. Yeah. That this is something that they've had to deal with all throughout their relationship. They probably have broken up, gotten back together yeah. like four times. It feels that way. But he's the kind of guy that will drive to Oklahoma City with $6,000 yeah. to hand deliver it. Mm-hmm. He cares enough then or suspects something's really mm-hmm. friggin' fishy. Yeah. But then, yeah. And he, and he proposes, right? Yeah. So it's like it's a it's a probably a very tempestuous relationship, like so, you said. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I feel like maybe it would be good for. So for one of movies. Susan's big notes on the script was right. they got married. They had like pretty much an impromptu. Wait, she wanted them to get married. Wedding they don't ceremony. Get married. In the original script. They oh, did. it's in the script. Mm-hmm. They get married. And Susan was just like, I don't know. I, I, this character's been through a lot. I don't think that this woman can handle it at and, this moment. And they were going to have a competing sex scene. Yep. With um, Gina and Brad going yep. at it. That would be too much. It's it's a it's a weird read. It's an interesting read, the Susan side of it, of yeah. what she wanted out of the script. But it is it is kind of funny. There's this whole side to the J.D. Thelma scene where apparently it was kind of NC-17 oh and toned way down. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, they went really hard on that sex scene. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the end, all we get is, like, a piece of crack. <laughs> <laughs> but it's probably all there in the dailies, though. They probably just edited artfully around everything. Well, even Susan, the anniversary, said, what was taking so long watching those dailies <laughs> that day? <laughs> It's all in there. They were just all hanging out. Watching Brad and, and Gina, oh who wanted to be her own own buddy. Her own body, body double. double. Yep. Love it. I mean, Gina's done like hand modeling and, and body part modeling. <laughs> she can handle it. She's not really wearing much in Earth Girls or Easy. No, not at all. She's in a bikini for half the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, so I mean the it's it's an interesting scene, this, you know, when J D kind of because they tell him to hit the road. Yeah. And then he comes knocking on her door when it's raining. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just talks his way into the room. And, and and then what's kind of interesting I find with this character is confesses what he does yeah. and that he's mm-hmm. currently on parole running yeah. away. You know, it's like I, I love that character, you know, note for, for, for Callie's script is that he just lets her know up front. Yeah who he is yeah yeah and she still leaves him alone with the money mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and he's the outlaw but she's the one who what stole his heart <laughs> oh my goodness but scott brought this up why is Lu- why is louise giving them the money to begin yeah with? you would think that that they money have two rooms. you would think that money wouldn't leave louise's pocket and after she had what sixty one and the twenty flies out of the car, yeah, exactly. And she says forty one. <laughs> she lost like a third of their money. You, you know, you would think, but you know, let's give Louise the benefit of the doubt. She's yeah. you know just killed somebody, and her mind is scattered yeah, elsewhere. Yeah, and she just kind of got uh, blindsided with yeah. you know, Michael Matthews showing, showing up. up. She didn't really think he was going to come all the and way. And she out, just out assumed of the blue. that we've gotten rid of the hot drifter. And he's not. Yeah, he left at that point. He's yeah. not like yeah. our problem anymore. Yeah, he left. He walked back to the room, unbeknownst to Louise. So, right. Okay. Instead, it's like, what happened? That yeah. breakdown of Susan. Mm. It's so good when it's she finds so out good. that he that it's he great. left with the money. Because you just see this 
character that you've seen her really strong yeah and feel like i can really hold it together and she just is crippled in this moment yeah and the beginning of that great yeah. changing mm-hmm. of their really dynamic. See yeah. their, their dynamics kind of change and kind of thelma really has to rise to the occasion and she does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She takes charge. By a- <laughs> <laughs> and she uses everything JD taught her about robbing stores and knocking over knocking over liquor stores. I love how knocks that, over a liquor store. I love how that scene is edited. It's edited yes. really of very that you get brilliant. you get the you get the footage of her on the camera. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is a robbery. Now if nobody loses their head, nobody will lose their head. Sam said, Y'all lie down on the floor, please, right away. Two, ma'am, would you get down? Not you, sir. Let's see who'll win a prize for keeping their cool. Sir, would you do the honors? Take all the cash out of that girl for it paper bag. Yes, ma'am. You're going to have an amazing story to tell all your friends. Not you'll have a tag on your toe. You decide. Hurry right, up. Go. Ma'am, would you be quiet? Sir, sit down, please. Thank you. Just stay there. Just get real comfortable. Hey, uh, I'm going to bottles of wild turkey, too, will you? Yes, ma'am. Now you get down to? Yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you all for your cooperation. Now stay down on the floor till I'm gone. Have a good day. Yeah. I also love, we have to give a shout out to that that scene of Susan in the car when she's having that moment sitting in the car and she's looking at the women yes. through the window. And that's one of those moments with Ridley Scott that you're like, oh yeah, that is a movie director. That he can take <laughs> this little moment in the script that would just be like uh Thelma sits in the car and he makes this beautiful like connection between Thelma in the car she's looking at the mirror she throws the she throws the lipstick and she looks at the women looking yeah. at her the, the local I love it's that it's such aspect. a powerful yeah. moment the locals he got for this are just great yeah and they're in Bakersfield. <laughs> yeah, so crazy. So crazy. I mean, is it one of those things that Ridley Scott came from commercial directing that he really knew that this is a moment that I have to really like showcase? Set the mood, yeah. 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 Um when we do see the footage, uh it is kind of uh not intercut, but it's through Harvey Keitel, Stephen Tobolowsky. Yes. Ned Ryerson. I was on a I was on a, a flight to Seattle once with him, with Stephen Tobolowsky, and, it, and it's it. so funny that I was just like, "Where do I know him from?" Everything I, I did, well, everything, <laughs> and I didn't think of immediately Groundhog's Day. I didn't think of Thelma and Louise. I immediately went to Memento. I thought you were going to say single white female. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I. I don't remember him in Memento. That's yep. crazy. He's an L.A. regular. Yeah, I've seen him here yeah. in Studio City. So funny that I went to Memento was the first thing yeah, that, <laughs> that I funny. thought of. That is funny. But yeah, Tobolowski in this movie, he ain't got no time for anything. No, mm-hmm. not at all. Because Harvey Keitel is very much, like we said, he's sympathetic. He's he's very much on Louise's side. He's like, from the beginning, you know. Um, and uh, I I like the scenes when they're... At Daryl and Louise's house, mm-hmm. when they tap the phone and you yeah. know all of that, uh, Daryl has a pinball machine in his living room because, of course, he does. <laughs> and of course, Louise is like, "Yeah, sure, sure, whatever." It's his. He bought it. Like he's the one with the job, so it's you know it's his pinball machine. And of course, he's so stupid. He's like stand, stands in pizza when Harvey comes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that's the other thing too. You know, when when she first calls Daryl, it's like the middle of the night. 
like after midnight, he doesn't answer and his dinner and beer, his dinner's still in the microwave and the beer is still sitting there with the note and little teddy bear sitting on top of it. So he still hasn't even come home. So for all he knows, she's just home by herself waiting for him and she went to bed. Then we cut to him. It's the next day and he's watching football and and Thelma's been gone this entire time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when she calls, he's just like, where are you? And, and puts the phone down to yeah. listen to some football. And to watch more football. Like, he could give two shits about his wife. He's been gone all night long doing God knows what. Probably, you know, fucking somebody else. And, you know, for all he knows, where the hell is she? I love the third time that she calls him. That's like the time <laughs> of uh, you have to find out what he knows. And oh, yeah. immediately, if he knows, hang up the phone. Yeah. And, like, first sentence... That he says, hey, Thelma. He knows. knows. How's it going? (laughs) He knows. I do really like the back and forths between Thelma and Louise and Harvey Cartel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Of that when they when they kind of figure out that okay, so the the police are onto us. Yeah. And then they sort of find out who Harvey's character is through these phone calls. And I think that's another reason why, you know, you kind of like him because yeah. he he is giving options. <laughs> yes. Yeah. For their possible, you know, you know, getting out of it. Clearly, but. he knew that it was a pretty shitty situation that they had to defend themselves with. Yeah, everything you heard yeah. from the waitress, I think he I think he was able to put two and two together. And you know, when he did tell Louise, maybe he was leaving a little bit out or just trying to entice her to, to come home. Mm-hmm. You know, when he said like, you're just wanted for questioning right now. And for just all questioning. Of, for all of the controversy that this movie got from male critics at the time, uh, like male moviegoers that kind of portraying men in a negative view. I think the Harvey Keitel character is sort of what, uh, sort of who Ridley Scott and Callie can point to, of that, no, that is clearly not the case. Right, right. I um, so going back to what you were saying about like how you know using the real people. Mm-hmm. I love that moment around this time when they stop, and Louise takes off her jewelry. We end up real. You know, we end up. She says she stole his hat. The the old miner oh, yeah. guy who's yeah. on. She she gives him her jewelry, and it's like for me. You know, it's giving the jewelry for the hat, but it's also shedding her life. Yeah, yeah. You kind, it's kind of the moment where you know, well, not know, but you may suspect she's not coming back to that life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and it's interesting when when Thelma does come by and she's like, "Where'd you get that hat?" She's like, "I stole it. I stole it." <laughs> <laughs> um, I like that beat. You know, once again, you know, him finding just local moments. Yeah, for sure. Um, was that something that Susan kind of – I think that might have been a moment that she brought to Ridley. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause they, they Probably. Because compar- apparently this guy was a real old miner okay. who yeah. lived in this shack. Wow. And had just stopped mining like wow. five years before. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, I like the little uh, – not little. It turns out to be a pretty big scene. But I like the truck driver. I was going to say, you, you laugh pretty hard yeah. at all of the truck driver scenes <laughs> in the movie. You're bitches. You're bitches. You're bitches for hair. <laughs> <laughs> Every time 
they pass him and he's just like doing the like jerk off motions with his hands and just like woo woo. Also, oh, man, I, had this to, guy, I had to take note of much. like the, the bro sunglasses are very 2021. He had the um, <laughs> the Macho Man Randy Savage yeah. sunglasses. He wasn't wearing them, but they I were I just on got his, a pair at the fair. His dashboard. This past summer. The ma- yes, they're uh, yeah they're, yeah they're back. <laughs> <laughs> the Macho Man Randy Savage sunglasses are back. Yes, indeed, you heard it here first, everybody. And this <laughs> is really the moment the movie takes, and this is like their their buddy road movie, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That's that's kind. This is kind of the funnest portion of the movie. Yeah, this is also the portion the portion of the movie that when you watch. All of the trailers and TV spots that they lean into is the most really yeah. heavy. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, would they actually be driving through Monument Valley? I don't know. <laughs> is it just because it looks pretty? Maybe. Well, I mean, they do have to go around Texas. <laughs> yes, seriously. So, mm-hmm. seriously, this whole route to to get to Mexico, but not going through Texas. I love. <laughs> I love that scene. Yeah, and but, kind of. Um, there's I. That I love that like uh, intercut back to the JD under investigation with Daryl. Yes. Um, yeah. I love this line Brad has. It's well shit twice and fall back in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, very interesting that we do see them kind of bringing in JD. They know he's got this amount of money. They know that. You know, Michael Madsen had taken out that amount of money. There was a reason why they robbed the convenience store. Yeah, so so and, Harvey could tell again. was that reason. Yeah, Harvey could tell again is putting it together. He's like, they wouldn't have knocked over that liquor store if it wasn't for you. Like, yeah, I really, I kind of like that 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 scene when they're questioning him. Yeah, and he's like, can I can I talk to him alone? And Stephen Tobolowski looks at him like, all right. You're, so Harvey can slap him back for it now, but I like it when he grabs his hat off his head and starts hitting him with his own hat. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my god, I love this. Yeah, yeah, he, he's going back to jail. He, he uh, his parole officer is mad at him. Oh yeah, um, but yeah, when uh, they're driving through Monument Valley and they get pulled over, yeah, they meet the cop. This, Who is it? This seems great. It's Jason Beggy. Uh, Jason Beggy's a very interesting actor. Ex-Scientologist. Ex-Scientologist. He had a very public fallout with Scientology. Watch mm-hmm. Going Clear. They go into it. Oh, that's right. Yep. That's where I know him mm-hmm. from. He had the whole, like... He's in a lot of stuff. Stalking him, like, he's at in his the home new, He's in the new stuff. season of Gossip Girl. Yeah, he does He's work. one of the gay dads in Gossip Girl. What? This season. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. okay. And I kind of love the little back Ridley says of him getting the role because... He was the only guy in the audition who chose to cry. Yeah. Chose to be afraid and cry. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Said that he he read it for him straight the first time, and then he asked, can I can I do something a little different? I dig on it. The second go around. Yeah. I like it. With more sunglasses, speaking of sunglasses, more sunglass change <laughs> exchange happens here. with the- And I love of when they're telling him to get in the back of the trunk, which also... Damn, ladies, like, you're putting that that cop in the back of a trunk. Like, he's going to die of heat stroke sitting in the desert. Yeah, the back seats of cop cars, you can't get out from the inside. They could have just put him in the back seat. I was thinking to myself, I'm like, does he survive because he is right there on the side of the road and the investigation gets to him in time? You know, like, the whole chase, 
you know, or is he going to die? Yeah. <laughs> sure. I mean, that Rastafarian blew that weed smoke in, into uh <laughs> But I love um trunk. but I love where he's about to get in the trunk and they keep asking for all of these uh his gun, his like his belt. Does she even take beer? His beer. Uh, yeah, why yeah. does he have a six-pack of beer in his, his six trunk? Pack of, his six-pack of, like, Bud Light. Or probably of, like, beer. Miller Light. Yep. Miller Light yeah. And then gets his aviators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which leads us to uh, the, the great... Uh, I love it. The way he lights the car on their faces. Driving, you know, yeah. after after they've, you know, put the cop in the thing. And, and really, really my favorite Gina moment, which tells you what's gonna happen which is you know something's crossed over in me i can't yeah, go back i love that scene. i can't go back mm-hmm. and you just know no one's going back oh yeah yeah this this journey has made her a changed woman yeah and and and, and louise says they don't want to end up on the Geraldo show <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean goodness that's, that's the other interesting thing about this movie too is that uh, it's released in 91, you know, probably shot around 1990. It, it doesn't really look super dated at all. Like yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. Like it could be aside from the fact that there aren't like pay phones. And you could stuff, just be making a period movie from the early nineties. It doesn't even have to yeah. be. A, yeah. Because she's driving a classic car, mm-hmm. you know, like. You're right. There's I not mean, a ton of references. There's not a ton it's, of. Like, I mean, that's what you get. With other the, than Geraldo. That's what you like, get with a really well-directed movie. Yeah, exactly. Boom. It yep. feels like you're watching it and you're not like, oh, this is a 90s movie or late 80s or whatever. It just feels like a movie that you're watching right now. The stories that last. And also, yeah. like, Ridley Scott knew at that time that we have to keep this movie fast. Like, this isn't like a movie from the early 80s or 70s where you can fully feel those two hours. Yeah. But this movie flies by. Yeah, that's another thing. It's over two hours mm-hmm. long and it doesn't feel like it ever. I mean, clearly there was a really great collaboration between Ridley and the women because even around yeah. this time, they're having that conversation that's kind of fantasizing about the life in Mexico. I'm working at Club Med. I'm yeah. doing this. But apparently a lot of that stuff was at the very end before they go over the cliff. And I think Susan oh, okay. and Gina were kind of like you know, let's put it here. And I think the payoff is just so much better for the audience. Yeah. Yeah. We have to talk about the last portion of the movie, the big high speed chase through the desert. I love those scenes. I love the stunt driving. It's like, I mean, when I was watching it in this viewing, those last car chase scenes are so impressive. Yeah. I think they're so cool to watch. And everything coming out of leading back to your guy, (laughs) (laughs) you know, blowing up the tanker. Oh, mm. my God. And, you know, I just, I friggin' love that. You yeah. know, Gina, you know, do you call women a beaver? I hate being called I a beaver. Called a beaver. <laughs> oh, man. And this is kind of the portion of the movie that probably made Susan want to sign on to it because she said that she approached this movie of wanting to be in, like, a guy's movie. Like, she wanted to, instead of, like, a cowboy movie where they, like, ride horses, they get to drive trucks and wear, like, aviators and just sort of do guy stuff in a movie, which women at that time didn't really do. Yeah. Like, you were just regulated to the girlfriend role. Yeah, and she had, you know, she had done a lot of cool films, but so yeah. often, you know, a love interest. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This is something so different. And, you know, you were talking about, you know, oh, the ending always comes back a million different ways. But 
one of the reasons I feel like Susan, from what we've read and what we know, came into this movie with such strong opinions about the end is she'd apparently on white she had just done white palace with james spader right and they had changed the ending from the book to be okay sure happier and more uplifting yeah and so i feel like if you know she had come off that experience yeah she was gonna stick to her guns and she said that she sat down with ridley at the time of okay i'll do this movie but we're not gonna get to the end of this movie and you're gonna cave with a test audience that doesn't like them driving off the cliff. Right. Because that's not the movie that I'm signing up to do. I, I, I respect it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is a crazy ending. <laughs> it is a crazy ending. And yeah, the stuff about like, you know, the end game was, all right, I shot this guy. I killed this guy. Um, you don't have to come with me because you didn't do anything, but... I'm going to go to Mexico. And then now it's like, now they're not, not knocking over liquor stores, all this stuff. So it's like, okay, we're, we're going to Mexico. This is going to be our life. But the thing is when you're just like, okay, I guess we're just going to go live in Mexico now. Like there, I, there are going to be those moments where you're like, well, what do, what do we do? What were, what will our life be yeah. when we go down there? You mm-hmm. know? So yeah, it is smart that they kind of put that in somewhere so they could just be like that kind of fantasy dream. Just, yeah. You know. Yeah. Just start making like, kind of plans. This is the goal. Yeah. Or even if they both kind of knew that it wouldn't really pan out and they're somewhere in their head, maybe they were just like, we're never going to get to Mexico. But if we did, this, mm-hmm. is, what we, this yeah. is what we would do. And that's why they were kind of like, well, Club Med, sure. That sounds good. It, it, and there's just such a finality to their behaviors. Like yeah. even with, I mean, I love the beautiful moment with Gina looking once again, first it was smoking Louise's cigarette. Like, look mm-hmm. at me, I'm Louise in the beginning. Yeah. But now at the end it's, you know, everything's changed, you know, yeah. look how beautiful it is. There's just something final about yeah. that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So that last chase is pretty, pretty crazy and big. And, and when they, are about to drive off the cliff. There's something so powerful in that moment that me personally, when I watch it, I don't think it's sad. I think it is. I think the correct word is moving. Yes. That this is their only choice, and clearly they have to floor it and drive Let, off the cliff. Let's keep going. Yeah. Okay, then listen. Let's not get caught. What are you talking about? Let's keep going. What do you mean? Go. You sure? Yeah. Like how even till the end with Kaitel's character, I, he says something like, "How many times do these women have to be fucked over?" Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. And so they really keep that moment for you. I mean, you know, I definitely I got a tear out of out of out of emotional, but like <laughs> less than sad, like as, as Scott yeah, was saying. Yeah. But you know, I it's great. You know the the choice. Before we go over that, Susan didn't tell anybody except Gina that she was going to kiss her. 
Yeah. 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 Uh, it's great. Which was very controversial at the time. Yeah. Don't they go into it in the celluloid closet? They do. <laughs> that yeah. That's really the moment with the MPAA of just like, all right, you've done some crazy shit in this movie, but the but the friend kiss is like stepping too far. Oh, my God. Which is... But it's like you're yeah. in the car, you're about to like put the pedal to the metal and drive off a cliff. Like, what, else, what do you... Who cares? You know, it's like, of course, yeah, you're going to do something like this is the person that you're going to like... Kill yourself. I don't know. It's crazy. It's like, what are they thinking? That it's like a romantic moment? It's like so no, I don't, there's nothing glorified no. here. <laughs> and there's something so powerful about, we haven't mentioned the Hans Zimmer score, yes. but those guitar. Oof. That kick those, in. Those guitar notes of the score that kick in. Yeah. Right when, when she says, let's keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It made me the woman I am today. <laughs> <laughs> the three gay men yeah. talk to Thelma and Louise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> No, yeah, it is. It is definitely a very powerful moment, very emotional, um, and yeah, Harvey's great in it, and Tobolowski's just like, nope, like we gotta aim all these, <laughs> gotta aim all these guns at these broads. Like we never know what they're gonna do. Like they're armed, you know. And when you think about it, like from the cops, because I was like, what are they gonna just shoot all these ladies? But it's like, no, they have guns. So it's like, yeah, they do have to like, you know, have their guns out. But it's like, all right. Um, and Ridley knows what to do. I mean, from the 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 pedal to the hands yeah. to the the great picture blowing out of the car. Yeah, yeah. the Polaroid. Yeah, blowing in the wind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we're off the cliff. It would have been so much fun to be filming that day when they boomeranged that car <laughs> with <the> dummies <laughs> over. <laughs> The canyon, because this isn't quite the Grand Canyon. This is like the beginning of the Grand Canyon. I think it's shot in Nevada. Like it's at it's. This is like sort of at the beginning of where the Grand Canyon really starts to branch out because they were given a big no from the national parks of that we are not going to okay this. Like you're not going to shoot. You're not going to film these women driving off the side of the. Yeah, of the cliff. You have to find some canyon that's mm-hmm. like kind of, kind of still a national park, but not under our jurisdiction. <laughs> and Ridley Scott said that it worked out because, like, you realistically could not shoot at the Grand Canyon because it is that massive. Yeah, that it wouldn't read on camera. Yeah, it would just be like there, like there would be nothing behind it. It's and, too big. And and I love you know hearing that one of the first things they shot is. Thelma coming down the driveway with all the stuff. And and the last thing they had, like, you know, 40, was it 45 minutes yeah. to shoot the last, you know, it really was their goodbye. And I just love Oh, that. okay. Yeah. It was one of the last shots. And it was like, they're losing daylight as they're Yeah. They, they had done all the helicopter stuff, oh, wow. all the everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was going to be one more day was going to cost, you know, yeah. however much money. Oh. And yeah, you know, when you're watching it happen on screen, you're like, there's bodies in that car. Yeah. You can see like an arm and uh, there's some pretty realistic, realistic. Uh... We'll post a picture of the, of the beautiful student Sarandon looking dummy <laughs> that they have in the car. Yeah. We we're watching some of the bonus features and Pete was like, wait a minute, rewind that. <laughs> and it was a shot of Susan's dummy. Yeah. I'm impressed with those dummies. And mm-hmm. also the car that they shot off the cliff, like didn't have anything in it. Yeah. Right. Like didn't have it was, an engine. It was pretty much a shell. Yeah. It's like a slingshot with like a truck or something. <laughs> oh my God. Crazy. That's wild. But yeah, I mean that 
is like an iconic moment in this movie and uh, was definitely talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. The fade to white, you know, just all of it was just like, I don't know. I feel like nothing had been done like that. Yeah, not you anything know? like this. I mean, there's always like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, but not yeah. anything with two women, though. Right. Going out in this blaze. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even read like... Arthur Penn's Bonnie and Clyde. No. Which is a real downer of an ending. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely... There's feels when you're watching it. You know, it's emotional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because then it does cut to a little, you know, kind of a montage. Yeah. Of, mm-hmm. you know, of their scenes of them together. But like I that. said, it doesn't leave me depressed or sad, yeah, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Quite the opposite. I'm very inspired and moved. Right. So do we want to talk a little bit about the 91 Oscars? So Josh and I are huge um, Oscar nerds. And (laughs) this is an interesting one because it just missed Best Picture. But then again, 1991 was a very strong year in film. And by missed Best Picture, you mean it didn't get – it didn't didn't win it? It didn't get nominated. It didn't even get nominated. So it would have been Silence of the Lambs that ended up winning. Silence of the Lambs, Beauty and the Beast, kind of a cool nomination. Bugsy, JFK, and The Prince of Tides. Ooh. Bugsy. What, what a very adult year, but also our yeah. animation. Yeah. Well, I also feel like there was probably regrets of not putting The Little Mermaid in that category in, in 1989. And so it kind of builds to us and yeah. needing yeah. an animated stuff. Uh, it's interesting because, I mean, Silence of the Lambs, obviously. JFK is like, it's JFK. The Oliver Stone. Yeah, it's Oliver Stone. Um, Bugsy. I feel like Bugsy doesn't have this like lasting. I mean, Warren like, Beatty was very respected no, at very, the time. You know, yeah. So deal. it was a yep. big deal, big movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. So, also got a Harvey Keitel a nomination. Oh, so right. not nominated That's for right. Thelma and Louise, but he got one for Bugsy. That's right. Oh, okay. This was like a couple of years of just Harvey working it. Interesting. And then this is this is the interesting trade off of Prince of Tides. No Barbara. Right. But but history made Best with the picture. first black director with John Singleton, Boys in the mm-hmm. Hood. So yep. it, it's it's this interesting interesting year, and with, with silence, you know, dominating. But ah. and also just Silence of the Lambs Oscar narrative that that was never on the radar with Orion. Of that right. they never thought this would be an Oscar vehicle, and then it just all took off. Right, and then this is also the the weird year of we get some comedy with with City Slickers. Jack Palance won for City oh Slickers. Yeah, Mercedes that when he's doing rule. the the push ups. The push ups. Yeah, Mercedes rule one, for the Fisher King. Yeah, um, and Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon were in Best Actors together, which is interesting because I can't think of anything like this. That's right. Two major actresses were in the same category. Not Probably since. not since All About Eve. I was going to say. Um, Terms of Endearment. Terms of Endearment. Um, yeah. And, and Shirley MacLaine won. Yeah. Because uh-huh. uh, the year that All About Eve was nominated, neither one of them right, won. Right, right. Right? It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. That was, uh, that was the year of Sunset, uh, Sunset Boulevard. Boulevard. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what's her name won? Um, but yeah. But the thing is, when uh, when it happened with All About Eve, when it happened with uh, Thelma and Louise, neither of them won. But yeah, we have an endearment year. Shirley MacLaine got it. Yeah, we haven't had anything like but this since. since. Has it happened in supporting? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We've had, but not like, for lead. Triples, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things, too, that I don't know who I would vote for. 
Susan or Gina. Right. I mean, it's like in some Jody. ways, it's some exactly. In some ways, <laughs> yeah. that's just why you're glad Jody is there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we split ha- the difference. We have Bette Midler back for the boys, and and little young Laura Dern, Rambling Rose. So there must be some weird little circle you can draw to Jeff wow. Goldblum, right? Like yeah. through the Gina yeah. and the Laura, and the Laura Dern. Oh wow! How old was Laura Dern in 1991? She would have been young. She would probably have been what, like 21, 20? Laura yeah. Dern was born in 67. Okay. 7787 she was 23 mm-hmm. yeah nominated with 24. her with, with her mom yeah cuz she wow. got a supporting for nomination Diane yep. Ladd in the wow such a interesting year but yeah. yeah and it's one of those things that i guess that Jody always had Thelma and Louise on her radar that i'm going to be in this movie and then ended up winning best actress <laughs> over, the- over both of them and then the Michelle vehicle would be like the That's next year that's the next year, year. yeah yep. oh okay I'm not familiar with Love Field. Uh, Love Field isn't talked about a lot. Yeah. It deals with racism. I also, uh. I feel like Love Field probably hasn't aged too well because it's sort of, it sort of has this white savior narrative with it. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. But she was like, you know, she was in fabulous Baker boys mode, Love Field. Yeah. And then of course, you know, it's, it's all about the lead up to Catwoman. So yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Interesting year at the Oscars. Callie ended up winning, supporting. And I would imagine Wait, that, that again? screenplay. Or, uh, 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 Callie ended up winning for original screenplay. Original screenplay. Which I feel like probably wasn't expected. Well, she got yeah. the Globe. Oh, okay. So she was probably the favorite to win that category. Nice. Callie Corey, now married, wasn't then, now married to another Oscar winner, T-Bone Burnett. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> did, did one for uh, music for um, Crazy Heart. Sure. And what is her career post this movie? That she she directed The Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, which was kind of a bust. I think, yeah, I mean, I think Mad Money was maybe more the bust, but Yaya made, some, made money, I think. I, th- I, th- I, I think know. it did okay. But that also was really dismissed of as, oh, this is, this is a girl movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, she she did eventually get to directing, um, but it she, was really more now recently the the creation of Nashville. The yeah, show. I was gonna say, and she she produced Nashville, and I'm assuming that she probably directed some episodes of that. Yeah, I read it was funny. T Bone was actually music on the first season, and I read he actually left because he didn't like the way that Callie was being treated by uh, some of the executives. Oh, oh wow, okay, but she stayed on as like you mm-hmm. know I don't know if it was showrunner or just creator. I don't know. Interesting. And that also leads us to the discussion that I'm sure that there was a lot of talking points at the time that Thelma and Louise was really going to change women in film. But did it really? Well, in Gina Davis would things? tell you no. Yeah. Really. <laughs> you know, she uh, you know, yeah. makes you wonder. I don't know when Gina Davis started her foundation mm-hmm. uh, that started to dig in some of these things about representation on film. But she, mm-hmm. she was cited even as recently, I think, as this last anniversary um, saying that percentage-wise, not a lot has changed mm-hmm. with the amount of female roles. Right. Um, so pretty, pretty... And it's one of those things, too, that studios at the time probably saw the success of a movie like this, and they were probably like, oh, that's cool, but they weren't willing to try to copy it or, like, try to do stuff that was similar to it. Yeah. You don't get a like, lot of... Like, they just kind of wanted to write it off. Yeah. And even, you know, even Gina, you know, it's funny you mentioned Deborah Winger. She was a last, last minute replacement for Deborah <laughs> Winger who didn't want to work with Madonna in A League of Their Own. Uh, oh, 
I didn't know that. Yeah, that. it's just come Did out. Actually, winner was supposed to be the Gina Davis role? This yeah. week, she was... Oh, wow. Um, well, I mean, I guess it's been known, but Deborah didn't yeah. want to work with Madonna. And, um, and so, you know, Gina's career, you know, sadly, doesn't take off exactly in the way you would think throughout the 90s yeah um i mean i know some of that was the was the pirate movie right and, and cutthroat uh, island <laughs> the movie that she did with her husband rennie harlan and there was that thriller was it long kiss the long, long kiss, kiss goodnight, goodnight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah i'd be curious to see how the long kiss goodnight revisits yeah but after that you know it's it's un, it's kind of sad because you you know we love gina and she was know, in the Stuart little movies yeah you just would have thought i think it would have been yeah more um, I mean, not everyone can be Meryl. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Why not? Because Meryl, it's like Why what? Does there have to it's just like be one. It's like what Susan. It, it's it's like what Sharon Stone just said recently that Hollywood made Meryl the only good one, and she was the only one that studios wanted to work with. I guess she didn't burn any bridges. Well, mm-hmm. Sharon Stone can say that because nobody wants to work with her. But but do you know what I'm saying though? No, is that yeah. like studios will. They're willing to cast Meryl Streep in all of these movies, but her contemporaries like Susan Sarandon, Sissy Spacek, Sharon Stone, that you have all of these other great actresses of that age that don't really get the roles that she's getting. Mm. That's kind of, kind, kind of why I loved um, that Meryl apparently personally asked Soderbergh to put Diane Weist in that recent film. Let them all talk because I, I like that because I mean mm-hmm. just reaching out to someone yeah. who is very much her peer and being like you know put Diane in this movie yeah um yeah all the different versions in our head of the Thelma and Louise pairings that but I'm really happy that we got this particular one yes though. yes yeah absolutely I mean again it's uh, everybody else is great and would have been. Amazing, but it's like I just can't picture anybody else mm-hmm. at this point. No, it's got to be them. Yeah, it has to be these two. Um, I mean, do we have any? I mean, final thoughts. On this that? movie is about its strong leading ladies, and I'm just a sucker for just actresses in general. And this is just one of the all-time great movies that really showcases these two women. Yeah, I mean, I think. Any little gay boy likes to see, <laughs> and many non-gay boys like to see two ladies just with such undeniable chemistry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if it's going through something extremely difficult, you know, there is that, there is those light moments in this. Um, just the way they relate to each other is just, yeah. it's it's interesting. I love seeing these two personalities on screen. Yeah. Love yeah. this one. Yeah, definitely. This is a this is a, a classic, definitely worth the revisit mm-hmm. if you haven't yeah. uh, watched it. It holds up lately, mm-hmm. but um, and it's not a big downer. Yeah, <laughs> there's definitely more to it than than all of that. But um, it's on like and every streaming service currently. Yeah, right. Is mm-hmm. it? It's like on. I want to say Hulu and Paramount and oh, Criterion. Nice. And, okay, yeah, like, that's cool. That's cool. Well, then you heard it there, there, kids. You can go out and. Uh, and uh, and find it to watch it and stream it. Josh, this has been so much fun. It was so good to catch up with you in person. Yeah, yeah great to see you guys again. We always love having you on on the show. We've done Sister Act, Sliding Doors, and the two Oscar episodes. Yeah, and I have a, I have a feeling you're going to be back for a movie later in the year. We <laughs> won't exactly reveal what it is, but it's a good one. <laughs> what? 
Well, that'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Until until next time, I always say we'll, we'd love to have you back, but I guess we're having you back pretty soon. So until next time, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. This was really great. Thank you, guys. You're very welcome. And we shall uh, see you soon. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I love this movie. Yeah, obviously we it's both great. love this movie. Mm-hmm. Can't stop gushing about it. It is really great, though. We we definitely uh, recommend. Yeah, it is like Josh said. It is on Paramount Plus with subscription. It is on Hulu with subscription. So go check out um, Thelma and Louise. Yeah, if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. Very very good. So uh, I think that means. It's that time. It's time for some Patreon shout outs. Well, we would love to say hello to our good friends and patrons. Susan, Barry, JJ, Brandon, Layton, Shelby, Merle, Jacob, Michael, Charlie, Heather, Paul, Jamie, Drew, Jimmy, Genevieve, Don, Josh, Emily, Melly, Aaron, Melinda, Jim, Jessica, John, Nick, and Shannon, Christine, and Rafino. Patrons. Thank you so much. I just got a new batch of postcards. They will be in the mail before this episode comes out. Yes, indeed. And so head on over to patreon.com slash movies that made us gay. You can check out all of our tiers. We, we do have... a commentary every month with a newsletter. Yes, indeed. We have a $1, $5, and $10 tier levels. You can do a one-month subscription where you just donate the money there and for 30 days you can have access to everything at that tier level and just cancel it after that or you can set it up monthly and subscribe and get all that fun stuff Mm -hmm. as it comes out so it's a lot of fun over there on patreon so check it out and thank you for doing that we also have a uh, a five-star iTunes review. Yay. I love those. This is from Dodomania from Apple Podcast in Germany. All the way in Germany. That's yeah. so cool. Entitled, I'm Addicted, Five Stars. I, di- I discovered I discovered this podcast a few days ago and have been listening to two to three episodes a day. It's so much fun. It makes me want to rewatch all of the movies they talk about. Great guest host, too. Highly recommend. Thank you so much. much. That is from Instagram user Last of the Dodos. Thank you, dude. Oh, and he also commented on our post. Oh, he's super cute, too. (laughs) Dominique. How about that, Dominic? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thanks so much, dude. So, yeah, we would love it if you would head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us five stars and write us a good review. Maybe Mm -hmm. we'll read it on an episode. I mean, we'll definitely read it on an episode, Uh, just like we've been doing. And uh, let's see. We would also uh, love it if you head over to any and all of those social media platforms. We are on Instagram and Facebook at Movies That Made Us Gay. Mm-hmm. And we're also on Twitter at MTMUGPod. Yes, indeed. So head on over there and subscribe and like all of our posts. Mm-hmm. You can also find me. My name is Pete. I am on Instagram and Twitter at Peter Lasagna. And I'm Oscar Scott on Twitter, Scott Youngbauer on Instagram, and just Scott Youngbauer on Letterboxd. See what I'm watching. Yes, indeed. 
Uh, until next time, everybody, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.